0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. For those who have not been here in a while, is that we're preaching what you see up on the screen. Our banner over here, the Jesus Church. Philippians chapter 2. We live in a culture that is dying from within. It's dying from within. Some would call it a cancer. For me, it's more like a birth defect. Yesterday, at, as I went to one of the, ball, one of the many ball games, is that uh, Stephanie Stringer let me see something, and she said, you know, this disturbs me. And I said, you know what, Steph, it disturbs me too, but it's very consistent with our culture. You've heard me say this repeatedly over the past 12, 13 months. We are living in the last verse, of the book of Judges. Now, honestly, that last verse appears two times in Judges, in Judges 17 and Judges 21. And it says, In those days there was no king in all of Israel. Here it is. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We basically made it up as we go. And you see, the truth is, in our culture today, what seems to have become the norm is criticism, is destructive responses, and out of that has grown this thing called the cancel culture. Now, unless you're deceived, this didn't begin with social media. I mean, it's true that the social media has exposed it, has accelerated it, but it really more revealed the flaw of mankind than it did... Uh, start something, now, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Ch- Snapchat, or any other of a of a dozen or dozens of social media platforms. Those things didn't create our problem; they just exposed it. So, before you jump down and uh, and and discount uh, everything that's going on online, here's something to tell: you. a lot of good things have come from us being able to be online. We have a person who attends this church who's in Dubai. He worshiped with us every week via our stream. We've heard from people around the country and around the world because today we can share the gospel online. Today we can keep friends and family informed online. And and so here's what I want to tell you. It's not so much about the platform as it is the people. It's not so much about the medium as it is the medium users. Ladies, you're going to like this. I'm going to give you this as an example before I move forward. The other day I was watching on Facebook, it happened to be. This lady was showing a new way to prepare eggs. She had this big bowl and she cracked Susan a dozen eggs in that bowl and they, none of the yellows had broken and then she took those, that and, and poured it very gingerly into a... Now, y'all, I know you ladies are going to tell me later. I'll get inundated. But it's a, it's a cookie sheet, but it has high sides on it. And poured all of that in there, and then she grated some butter in it. And then she sprinkled some cheese in it. Anybody getting hungry yet? And then she seasoned it with salt and pepper and some other spices. And then she put it in the oven to bake. Now, would I do that? Probably not. I'm not that patient, Jimmy. But she did it, and it sure looked good. But you, here's the deal. I'm watching the 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 chats over here, people responding to her, and I was embarrassed as a human being. How ugly and mean people! I could have done that in half the time, in another way, and that wasn't the point. Just it was mean, and and I was embarrassed as a human being. And I, and I thought, dear God, we're better than this. And in my spirit, I heard, "No, we're not." This is us. Left to our own, this is who we are. Critical, mean-spirited. That's the cancer. That's the birth defect. And it's eating us up as a culture, a society. And you say, Brother Jerry, it hasn't got Ten Mile Creek yet. Well, I'm not sure about that. But if it hasn't, it's going to get here. We can't seem to help ourselves if we're left to our own. And I'll push this a little further. Just because you attend church doesn't make you immune to being critical and just plain mean. Now, wait a minute. I understand we have nobody in this building right now, okay? I got you. When I think about a church church members being critical in me, and mean, I'm reminded of stepping into one of the churches that I was serving as director of missions of. Admittedly, uncharacteristically, I got there a few minutes late. wasn't a service, it was the, their big Sunday school. And so I slipped in the back and thought I had made it in very quietly until that cheap pew creaked on me. Y'all got what I'm telling you? And when that cheek puke went, <kitching noise> ladies, you don't be mad. This is just what happened. This elderly lady threw her arm on the bench and turned around and gave me one of those school teacher scares, stares that if I hadn't have been the director of missions, I'd have left. This is us. Now, some of you are saying, Brother Jerry... Why have you started so negatively? Well you know last week, as you look at on the screen, we preached on the joyful church, and today, if he hits that button it 'll circle it we 're going to preach on the encouraging church. Why have I started so negatively? Just because folks, please listen. I want us to see the contrast today the contrast, not the similarities, the contrast when we speak of similarities, we speak of how things are same, the same. We speak of contrast, we think of how they, we speak of how things are Different, And here's what I want to tell you. It is into this culture that I've just described, which is all about self and selfishness and self-promotion, which is epit- epitomized by, by attitudes of self-important and self-centeredness and results in mean and harsh and critical people that devolve into this cancel culture mentality. It is into this environment that Jesus sends His authentic church filled with authentic followers of his, we call them Christians, submitted to the Spirit, acting and reacting like him in his first century church. That's who he sends us to. That's who we are to make a difference in. You see, he calls us to be the Jesus church. Never make a mistake about this. Our choices are two. We like to have a menu of choices. We want to see a menu when we go to a restaurant. But we really don't have a menu of choices. There is either an evil way or a good way. There is the human way. There's the divine way. There's the world's way and there's Christ's way. And there is the broad way and the narrow way. To be a Jesus church is to be a a church that emulates Jesus, which means, first of all, are you listening? We will never become a Jesus church until he is Lord of all in us. This comes through salvation. This comes through that personal relationship where Jesus changes your heart from the inside out. It's not a cultural thing. You came and you got baptized because that's what your family did. It makes you fit into the family unit. I'm talking about something very personal, internal, salvation where he has brought you from death to life. And then there's surrender. Then he becomes the Lord of who you are. And then I can use another big word, sanctification, which means he grows you up. In the spirit. This means all those things I just said, listen, don't mean that he adjusts himself to us. It means we adjust our lives to him because he's made a difference in us. And when we finally let this happen, this is the good news. When we finally let this happen, you know what happens to us? That first thing up there, we become joyful. Joyful. Because of his strength, because of his spirit, because of his salvation, we become joyful from the inside out. And when we become joyful because of his spirit, watch this. The most natural thing to happen is that we become encouragers. We become encouragers. We encourage one another. Years ago, I heard a deacon kind of uh, bemoan the fact. He said, you know, we have trouble staying around here. I said, what? He said, you did a good job. He said, we have trouble saying that we have trouble just saying, good job, because the world teaches us to be critical and skeptical and even cynical. Jesus teaches us to be loving. He teaches us to be caring. He teaches us to be forgiving. He teaches us to be encouraging of one another. Well, now, Brother Jerry. There are some things I just can't encourage. Well, surely we stand on His truth. We stand on His truth that's found right here without compromise. But you see, the, the truth is that He stands on is that He is the way. He is the truth. He's the life. He's help, He's hope. He gives us eternal happiness. But we do this, please listen, we do this in a way that honors Him. When people... Sin and get away from God, it does no good to walk up and slap them down and tell them to turn and burn because they're going to burn. Because they're not going to already burn it in their spirit because of the way you approach them. You see, we are to encourage people to Jesus. We are to encourage people to find his life. I mean, when someone chooses to walk into a Jesus church, they should find some things. When someone walks into a Jesus church, now, this is the crowd that will understand what I'm about to say. Although, Brock and Megan brought Laney to sing this morning, so we've got a lot younger folks here today. So y'all won't, know, y'all won't know what I'm talking about. Walking into a Jesus church should be like the Sons of the Pioneers used to sing. Cool, clear water. That was a big deal back then, you know what? Because everybody didn't have one in running water. You get out on the range, you get out on the ranch, and you get parched and thirsty. Oh, just the taste of cool cool, clear water. And that's what it should be when people walk into a Jesus church. When you walk into a Jesus church, it should be a breath of fresh air that refreshes you, that encourages you. It should be like let me get let me get home to you on here on Ten Mile Creek. It should be like mom telling you, I'm cooking your favorite dish. And your mouth waters even before you get home because you know how it's going to hit you. I a Jesus church. Now, you didn't think I was ever going to get to the text. I got that. But Philippians chapter 2. Before I read that text, I want to say this to you. Encouragement is big stuff in the Bible. All through the Bible. The truth is, is that in the Old Testament, Moses encouraged Joshua as Joshua was about to take on the mantle of leadership of those 102 1.2 million Southern Baptists who were harder-headed than a snake, he encouraged him. Hezekiah encouraged all the Levites to perform their job. In the New Testament, it's a common theme from Matthew to Revelation, because everybody, are you listening to me? Everybody needs encouragement. Thank you. I'm going to say that again, Brent, because you're always on the forefront. Everybody needs encouragement. Y'all don't believe it, do you? I'm going to try it one more time. I primed the pump twice. Okay. Just to make it easy for you, and I don't don't leave anybody in the cold. When I finish saying that, I'm expecting people to at least say amen, whether you agree with it or not. Everybody needs encouragement. I wish that was easier to pull out these days, but thank you. I'm encouraging you. Do you know when you say amen, you encourage your preacher? Did you know that? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Got you. When we get to Philippians chapter 2, is that from, the, from a human perspective, this is the weirdest place in the world to go into the Bible For encouragement. How can you find encouragement in Philippians? Because listen. When Paul wrote the letter to Philippi. He is down in prison. Now when I say down in prison. If I ever go to the Holy Land. And they show me where he was in prison. I probably won't. They they now will let people down in on a rope. Into that little hole in the rock. I will probably not go down in. Because I will probably have an anxiety attack. And die because of my claustrophobia. That's the type of place he was in. And yet he wrote this book from prison. And you read it and it's full of joy. It's full of encouragement. It's full of help. He was a great encourager. Let's stand together. We're going to read the first about five verses of Philippians chapter 2. Follow along. This is indeed God's holy word. Has, was inspired to Paul to write to this church at Philippi. And he says, if then... Now, there's a condition. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation or comfort of love, if any fellowship or participation with the spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent. On one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father... I pray for the next few moments. I pray that you'll look deep into our hearts. And I pray that if we have lulled ourselves, allowed ourselves to lull into this spirit of discouraging and critical, I pray that today that you will renew our spirit to become the encouragers that you want us to be so we can be known as an encouraging fellowship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, last week I left here after the 1030 service and we went to Mobile and we buried Brother James. Thanks for your prayers, concerns, your cards and what have you. But I'm going to just tell you this. In that service, I heard a, I heard a word more than I heard anything else. And that's the word encouragement. That he was a great encourager. And then we pick up the scripture. If there, if then, condition, if then there is any encouragement in Christ. What a great way to start. What a great way to start a message on encouraging. I mean, I mean, the encouragement comes from Jesus himself. Have you ever thought about how Jesus encouraged us? He always encouraged us toward the father. He encouraged us to be born again. He encouraged us to be spirit filled. He encouraged us to care for one another. He encouraged us to follow him. He encouraged us to see the fields that they were white unto harvest. And he encouraged us to become like him. He was an encourager. Would people say you were an encourager? By your life, by your words, by your deeds, by your action. You see, to encourage is to inspire with confidence or courage. To to stimulate. Stimulate people to keep going. That you can get there. and To to even promote people. You know, the, the truth is, it occurs to me that as I read this text... And I've read it a lot over the past four or five weeks. There are five truths, five things that you have to have. You see the five up here? There's a replica in your bulletin. But now before you panic, we're going to cover three of them today, one, two, and five. Three and four comes up in a later message in a couple of weeks, okay? If we're going to be encourage, encouragers, the first thing is that we have to have the right affection. Right affection. Now I'm just going to pause to say that if in a modern day America, if a church really becomes known as being an encouraging church, a church that encourages you, you know what's going to happen? We talked last week about the appeal. People are going to want to know what's going on because it's so abnormal and un- and unnatural. Here, I say because of the affection, because he says... Now, after he gets past that, if there's any encouragement in Christ, he says, is there any consolation or comfort of love, affection? Now, I do understand, Baptists, uh, those who are visiting with us, I'm Baptist-born, Baptist-bred, one day when I die I'll be Baptist-dead, okay? So I'm a Baptist from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. But here's what, here's what I'm going to tell you. Baptists are not known for this thing of affection because affection is too close to emotion, and emotion is too easy to get out of control. And because we have to keep our emotion under control. And it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be affectionate about our hobbies, about our jobs, about our sports, about our, our friends, about other things. But when it comes to faith, to keep it under control. Hello? One time not long ago. Deborah and I were just talking, we're having, we have these discussions and I go, you know, perhaps I should have been a Pentecostal. You like, you laugh, but here's what I want to tell you. You take our doctrine and their fire and we could change the world in a day. So here's my question. If the only thing that's lacking is the fire, how come we can't strike a match? You see, the affection is where it happens. We put our affections other places. I do not have to ask you about your grandkids. Hello? I don't even have to ask you about your kids. Now, I understand grandkids are a bigger thing because grandkids is God's reward for not killing your kids. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I don't have to ask you about that. Nobody else does either. Philip Price said at James Messer's funeral last week, now James and Toby have seven grandkids, and Philip got up and he goes, you know, I'm reading here his family card that he has seven grandkids, but I thought he had 40 grandkids because that's all I ever heard about. You know, the truth is, if we talked as much about Jesus as we did our grandkids, and we got as much emotionally attached to Jesus as we do our families, we could change this world in a while because we were encouraging them because of our affections. Brothers and sisters, your affection is what you hold dear. It's what, and it is what you encourage people to. I could, I could really have a field day on this. I keep telling people who are Alabama fans we can give you some medicine and fix you. But you know what I figured out, Eric? The only medicine that'll fix an Alabama fan is strychnine or rat poison or something, (laughs) because they're there for life. Got what I'm telling you? But here's here's what I'm gonna say to you: is that you encourage people to don't you want to? Don't you want to become an Alabama fan? Don't you want to become an Ole Miss fan, a Mississippi State fan, a Tennessee—well, maybe not Tennessee. Don't you want to become a—don't you want to become a fan of somebody? I mean, we use that—that's our affection. But do we really encourage people toward Jesus? I have a personal, sad story. When I was in high school, we were at youth camp. We had a great bonfire. I look back now. I remember what I was experiencing and feeling at that bonfire. I really think, now when I look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, maybe God was dealing with me about an authentic, an authentic salvation experience. I'd already been baptized, and that didn't come to many years later. But as we came from that campfire, I really did not know what to do. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what was next. And so I asked one of, our, something of our, one of our men who was there, let this burn in your heart. I said to him, What should we do now? This is what he said to me. Just don't go overboard. Just don't go overboard. Now, he wasn't a bad man. If he had been, they wouldn't have let him go on camp. He was a good man. Did a lot of good things. Took up the offering. Might have been a deacon. Just don't go overboard. I look back today and I think his his affections were misplaced. He had his affections on everything else. But the Lord Jesus, and in fairness and balance. The other thing I've learned as I've gotten older is that these events affect adults too. Perhaps he was dealing with the same thing I was dealing with and really didn't know what to say. But that was wrong. That exposed the misplaced affection. Do you and I encourage people toward Jesus? We have to have the right affection. The second thing I find from the Scripture, you have to have the right aim. The right aim. Now it says if you have consolation, love, fellowship with the Spirit, affection, and mercy. is your affection. Here's your aim. Paul says, make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Why was it okay to make Paul's joy complete? Because we know enough about Paul to know that he left his entire life behind. It even required a name change. The Damascus road took him from headed that direction to that direction. He surrendered. He gave all he had to be in Uh, Surrendered to Christ and he said, now make my joyful, make it complete, make my cup overflowing. How? Don't you like this, Baptist? Think the same way. (laughs) Have the same love. Have the same love. Did you get that? That'd be Jesus. Unity in spirit and intent on one purpose. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, Walk worthy of the calling with which Christ has called you into. Walk worthy. And so we ask the question, how do you do that? Well, then go to chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, be imitators of God and walk in love. That's the message of the day. Be imitators of God. Sharing God's love with other people will always lead you personally to be an encourager. And when we do it collectively as a church... It will lead us to becoming that encouraging church. The right aim. We get our aims kind of messed up every now and then. Kind of think our aims are about my family, the aim of the church is about my schedule. And he's saying, make my joy complete, but i think it the same way. He's talking about that, let this mind be in you in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the unity and the harmony of the spirit that's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4. He's calling us to put our sights on Jesus. Having our affections on Jesus. Having our aim to Jesus. The third thing he says here for the sake of time, he says, have the right ambition. Hmm. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of selfish, nothing out of selfish ambition. And just as surely as our aim is to be united in the spirit, our ambition should be to be unselfish. So if you look on the screen up here, we're going to cover this in two weeks. Unselfish. Then number four, he says, have the right approach. Look at look at verse four. Everyone. Should look out not only for his own interest. Well you can look out for yourself. But watch this. For the interest of others. Again. This truth. This truth. Is again about being. Unselfish. And a sensitive servant. And you see we'll get to that. There is one more thing. And this is where we'll. We'll end. It's in verse five. And it's to make it. Or break it of becoming an encouraging church. In verse 5, he says, adopt the same attitude. Have the right attitude. Now, don't get hung up. Those who have other translations besides the Christian standard version, don't get hung up about how it's, how it's translated. Adopt the same attitude. I have about six or seven here. I went and read them all. Here's what it's. Let me just read some of them for you, the different translations and see if it means any different, any one, the other. Here's the first one. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. In your life together, think the way Jesus thought. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. And then what my translation says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. When we have the attitude of Christ, are you listening? It will eliminate arrogance. It will eliminate conceit. It will eliminate selfishness. And it will promote in us humility and love. Gentle spirit, kindness, and even graciousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Man, graciousness is almost a lost art today. Practically speaking, the fruit of our lips is produced by the tree in our heart. I want to say that again. The fruit of our lips, or what we say, is produced by the tree in our heart. And that tree produces the fruit. It's not only our words, but it's our action. Our words and action either encourage or discourage people. Have you ever met that person? Or have you ever been that person that was negative about everything? I mean, you walk into their you walk in their presence and you know, man, something good could be happening, but they can throw water on that fire. And, and in fact, they're probably the chairman of the cold water committee. The truth is, when we possess the the attitude of Christ. It is because we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then it's easy. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's easy to encourage. Because that tree we have is focused on God. And what comes from our mouth. Is encouragement. I read this statement this week. I love it. Encouragement's kind of like. A peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread it around, the better it sticks together. That's encouragement. As I walk around, I meet people. I see faces. I stand up here. I see faces. Because I've done this so long, I can just about tell you about what's going on in their world by their face. You know, Bill Gaither wrote years ago, the happy notify your face. You see, whether it's a bright face, a dim face, a happy face, a sad face, a discouraged face, a hurting face, whatever is shown in our face is a reflection of our heart. And it really controls whether we can encourage or not because it comes back to attitude. I end with this story. I read it this week. <clears throat> to <clears throat> Two oncologists, cancer doctors, were sitting and eating, and a man was sitting there and overheard the conversation. And one of them complained kind of bitterly. He said, You know, Bob, I just don't understand. We use the same drugs, the same dosage, the same schedule, the same protocol, the same criteria, yet I only get like a 22% response. And you get a 74% response. And that's unheard of for metastatic cancer. How in the world do you do it? And Bob said, well, now medical people, I will mis- un- mispronounce these. Well, we, we both use topside. we use platinum, we use uncovin and hydroxyurea. He said, You call yours epic, E P O H. He said, I arrange mine a different way and I make it H O P E. And I tell these people, as dismal as the statistics are, there is still a chance. There is hope. Brothers and sisters, we have more than a chance. We have an opportunity. An opportunity, to, an opportunity to encourage people toward Jesus. 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 Will you join me? If you've never trusted Jesus, that's the starting point. If you've trusted Jesus and you've kind of kicked into the curve in your life, decided to take over your life, perhaps you've gotten more critical than you would like to think. Why not just come lay that sin before Jesus? I'll pray with you, but the altar will be open. Why don't we make today the day that we become an encouraging church? Let's pray together.